0: Um, my name is Ray, and uh, Ruth and I have been part of this church for about 35 years. I, was very, very, I came as a teenager, so that was absolutely ideal, of course. Well, that's not very nice, is it? A good way to greet the preacher. <laughs> but it's the truth. Anyway, um, I actually became a Christian um, in 1950, so that proves I'm not a teenager. <laughs> and um, it was, uh, I was about 15 years old, of age at the time and soon after that I actually started going to Holy Trinity Church in Eastbourne and as its name suggested it believed in the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son and the Holy Ghost. Yes, the Holy Ghost because that's what the King James Version actually named the third person of the Trinity and uh, much of the teaching in those days was very much on Um, the Holy Ghost and his convicting power and the fact that he was our teacher and he was our guide but that was really as far as it went and so I suppose you could say I was at that stage a cessationist I don't know whether you know what a cessationist is but it's a person who really believes that when once the scriptures had been completed and when once the apostolic age had finished round about the fourth century then from, thank you, you're gonna save me from knocking that over. (laughs) Emily also knows I can't get down that far either, but that's by the way, (laughs) thank you Emily. And um, so it's about the fourth century that that decision was taken. And so in our days, um, it was really only the Pentecostal churches um, that believed that spiritual gifts were today. So we didn't have healing sessions, we didn't believe in prophecy, and all of these things were not part of the daily life of the church. And then of course the charismatic movement started in 1960. And that was really as a consequence of Dennis Bennett who was just actually like the gentleman we heard preach, um, Bishop Curry at the the wedding recently. Um, He was an Episcopalian and he was in California And suddenly he realized that the scriptures taught that spiritual gifts were to for today. And also that the Holy Ghost, but now it was the Holy Spirit of course, the Holy Spirit actually gave gifts to the church and also planted seeds in our lives, which grew into what we know as the fruits of the Spirit. And uh, this was a real revelation And for Ruth and for I, um, the revelation really completed itself when we were down at Halden Court, which is a, a Christian conference center in Exmouth. And there we heard Bryn Jones actually open up the scriptures and show the amazing work of the Holy Spirit and what he wants to do in each one of our lives. And so that was probably, I suppose, the third biggest change in our lives. The first was when we were converted, The second was when we got married. And married does change you. And the third, obviously, was when we began to learn about the Holy Spirit. And so this morning, we are going to be looking at the fruit of the Spirit. And Margaret's going to come and read to us a passage of Scripture. So if you'd like to turn in your Bibles to Galatians, and it's chapter 5. And we're looking at verses 16 to 26. 26.
1: is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. And those who are Christ's have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another.
0: Thank you, Margaret. Do keep your bibles open at that particular passage because this morning we're actually going to start at uh, verse 22 which as you see begins with the word but and wherever you see the word but in scripture it's always worthwhile pausing because there's something very important coming after that but and uh, as we heard through the original verses 19 through to 21 we actually hear about the acts of our sinful nature. And it's a horrendous list, isn't it? And yet it's a list, you know, that this world is very much aware of and involved in. But, then we have these words about the fruit of the Spirit. It's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Jesus actually said that we will be recognized by our fruits, not by our gifts. And that's interesting, isn't it? Because as churches, we spend a lot of time thinking about spiritual gifts, and rightly so, because that actually helps us to build ourselves up and to help to build up one another as a church. But actually, gifts will finish when either Jesus comes back or you and I go to heaven. But what actually happens with the fruit of the Spirit, they will actually remain, because those fruits of the Spirit we will actually take into eternity with us. So we need to keep the balance between the two. But the fruit of the Spirit is something we don't often hear preached in church, and I'm delighted that that's our subject for this morning, because they're not fruits and characteristics that we can actually build and grow ourselves. But they're actually developed by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit who indwells us, and He planted these seeds in your life and in mine the moment that we became believers. The moment we were converted, the Holy Spirit planted these little seeds into our lives. Look at verse 16, where it actually talks about living or walking by the Spirit. Verse 18 says we are led by the Spirit. Verse 25, we keep in step with the Spirit. So this whole passage is really encapsulated in the thought of the Holy Spirit. He's the one that does this work within us. And so as we walk, as we're led by, and we keep in step with the Spirit, so these fruits are going to begin to develop in our lives. And notice in your Bibles is a capital S which means it's not your spirit that's doing that work it's actually the Holy Spirit he's the God's Holy Spirit he plants he feeds and he waters those seeds that are sown in our lives now there's no way I'm going to be able to go through and give you a detailed explanation of each one of these uh, various fruits that we have but we'll try and just cover um, them with very brief sort of way, many people have actually seen love as an orange and these other fruits as little segments within that orange. So as you take off the covering of the orange of the love, then you begin to find these other fruits underneath the surface. And uh, the first one is love. And if you want to know what real love is, Christian love, agape love, there are really just two places to look. And the first is the cross. God is love. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but should have everlasting love. And that's what the bishop concentrated on, wasn't it, in his sermon at uh, Harry and Meghan's wedding. He said, there is power in love. And I actually heard three people at Tesco's as I was walking around on the Sunday following that sermon, actually talking about love. That was a different kind of love that guy spoke about at the wedding, wasn't it? Can love really change the world? The sort of love I hear is is a mushy sort of love. What sort of love was he talking about? That was a conversation of three people filling shells at Sainsbury's, at Tesco's. Isn't that amazing? The effect that that sermon has actually had. Because he said, you know, there's power in love. There is redemptive power in love. And the first place that that love is described and shown for us is on the cross. But the second place is in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And there we have a beautiful portrait of Jesus. Just read through 1 Corinthians 30, not in the context of a marriage service, but in the context of your life, and see how you actually come up to some of those phrases there about what love truly is. Because it's a real challenge. I've done it, and it really has challenged me, I have to say. Love is really the key to life and uh, when Jesus was asked about which was the greatest commandment he actually took the ten commandments and he divided them into two he divided the first four that are all about God and he said that we should love the Lord our God with all our hearts with all our minds and with all our souls and then he took the next six of the ten commandments which were all about our relationships with other people and he said you should love your neighbor, as you love yourself. And you know, love is probably one of the most precious gifts that anyone can have. And it's a gift which we can share with God and we can share with our neighbours. I don't know whether you know, but love is actually spelt T-I-M-E, time. Time is one of the most precious gifts that you and I have And if we actually spend time with someone, they actually know that we love them. When you spend time with God, you receive his love, but you also tell him that you love him. When you spend time with other people, they know that you actually love them. I wonder, have you told anyone this week that you actually love them? Have you told anyone this week actually, I love you. Whenever I contact my grandchildren, I always finish off with, I love you. I'd really encourage you, even today, to tell someone that you love them, even if you're a man. And it's not always easy sometimes for us men to say that we actually love someone. Now, the second fruit is joy. And it's actually been said that joy is Jesus' you, and nothing in between. Jesus actually tells us that there is joy in heaven every time a sinner is converted. So imagine what a joyful place heaven must be. Because every moment of every day, of every month, of every year, people are being converted around the earth. And so there's constant rejoicing in heaven. Heaven is a great place of joy. But joy is not dependent of course upon our circumstances. Sometimes we think joy actually comes from without and touches us, but actually it comes out of us and should in fact be touching the world. In fact, James even says that when we're going through times of difficulty and trials and testings, that that is pure joy. I find that very very difficult to be quite honest, but that is the truth because now things that are affecting us from the outside are not actually affecting the joy that God has sown into each one of our hearts. And the writer to the Hebrews said that Jesus actually was full of joy because of the, what he saw as he endured the cross. He was full of joy because he saw into the future. And that actually means that you and I are God's joy. You and I are enjoyed by God. And I hope, as I hope for myself, that I actually enjoy God. It's my prayer that each one of us will enjoy God, will enjoy his presence. He's not that great father with a great big stick over us. He's a God of love who loves us with an everlasting love. The next one is peace. Now, peace is actually a legacy. It's a legacy that Jesus leaves with us. He said, peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. The inherit- it's an inheritance. If you're um, a beneficiary of a will, you are left a legacy, perhaps. Maybe 1,000 pounds, maybe 5,000 pounds. You're left a legacy. When Jesus left this earth, he left each one of us a legacy, and it's his peace. And he's sown that seed in your heart and in mine. And it's in, that inheritance actually gives us the opportunity of overcoming our anxiety and our fears. His peace is with us even when we're floundering in the water like Peter was when he started walking on the water and suddenly looked at the waves. Peace can actually come to us when Jesus speaks peace real peace into our hearts peace comes from God and uh, Francis Ridley I love hymns and uh, she actually wrote these words stayed upon Jehovah hearts are fully blessed finding as he promised go on carry on perfect peace and rest yep yeah, an amazing hymn by uh, as I say Francis Ridley Ridley The question is I suppose one that I ask you and I ask myself are you at peace with God? Are you at peace with yourself? Are you at peace with your neighbor? The person sitting here in this room are you at peace? Because that's the inheritance that we have from Jesus. He said I leave my peace. Just let God's peace flow into your heart this morning as you listen to the things I'm saying to you. The next fruit is um, patience. (laughs) And uh, what we normally pray is, please God, give me patience and give it to me now. (laughs) Absolutely right, yes. And give it to me now. Now, I unfortunately am an impatient person. I know that because my wife told me yesterday morning as I was driving the car that I am impatient. (laughs) And uh, I don't know about you, but I find when I'm standing in a queue, which is the shortest queue, I take the longest time to get through because the people in the other queues just flow through, and my queue is the slowest queue there is. Or when I'm driving my car, unfortunately, I always get behind people who should never have passed their driving test. They really shouldn't. Now my friends tell me I should pray for those in front of me in the queue and I should take my hand off the horn. Both of those things I find incredibly difficult. But you know, using that word incredible, God has been incredibly patient with me. Incredibly patient with me. And I need to be incredibly patient with you and with my wife. And together, we need to have patience with one another. You know, most of us actually have a slow match burning within us. And when it hits the powder keg, we explode. Now, actually, patience is the grace which enables us to draw back from lighting the blue touch paper. Just think about that. The next gift we hear is about kindness. Now kindness is really, it's a loving act to someone who perhaps doesn't necessarily deserve that kindness. Sometimes it's even beyond the limits of our own inclination what we would actually do. And I suppose the story of the Good Samaritan is probably one of the best stories that actually explains what kindness is all about. You know, he saw someone in need he had compassion on that person, he gave them practical help, and he was incredibly generous in the way that he he responded. He went well beyond the call of duty. And kindness is a lovely gift that people can have from God, as is goodness, because Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. God is good, his works are good, His commands are good. And Jeremiah said that his plans for each one of our lives are good as well, because they flow from a God who is good. I believe that this world is full of common grace. Generally speaking, most people are good, aren't they? It's only the media that concentrates on the bad in people. But by and large, most people, those sitting around you today, are good people. And there are countless acts of goodness and kindness being done in our country and throughout the world every day. And we need to get away from what the media is saying and concentrate upon that goodness and that kindness. Because you see, God is the source of that goodness. And as we allow that Holy Spirit to germinate and to bring to life those seeds within us, so we will share goodness and kindness with those around us. Do you hear what I'm saying about these things? They are so important. It's not what you say so much. It's who you are that people notice most. If they see these fruits showing in your life, then they're going to ask you, why are you different? Why are you so different? than the people around you. Why are you good? Why are you patient? Why are you keen? Why do you actually love in the way that you actually love? Now the next fruit is faithfulness. Shortly before his death, at the age of 93, Thomas Chisholm, who actually wrote the hymn, Great is Thy Faithfulness, and it's based on lamentation, said this, My income has never been large at any time, due to impaired health in the earlier years, which has followed me right through my life until now. But I must not fail to record here the unfailing faithfulness of a covenant-keeping God and that he has given me wonderful displays of his providing care, which have filled me with astonishing gratefulness. And so he wrote that amazing hymn, Great is thy faithfulness. Actually Clifford Knight who was a compiler of uh, the companion to Christian hymns wrote this about that hymn. This hymn reveals to us in no uncertain terms what a great God we have. It tells us we do not need to have a great faith, only faith in a great God. That's who we worship a great God, full of love, full of kindness, full of compassion, full of mercy. Faithfulness is all about commitment. It's about loyalty, it's about devotion, it's about service. Values sometimes we don't look at so seriously as perhaps we should. But our basic Christian values, commitment, loyalty, devotion, service. Vince and I were talking earlier on about marriage. And, uh, you know, how we need, how much we need to be faithful in our marriages and faithful to one another in those situations. And I thought Sam brought out that whole subject of faithfulness, didn't he, brilliantly the other Sunday, as he explained God's faithfulness to each one of us. And, uh, you know, we need to reflect that attitude in our lives. The uh, penultimate fruit of the Spirit in Galatians is gentleness. Now, it's very easy to see gentleness as weakness, and often we do. But when he was actually writing to the church at Thessalonica, um, Paul actually said this. He talked about his authority, but he also said, my authority is like the tenderness of a woman, of a mother caring for her child. And the picture there is power, and strength, but actually it is controlled. Now, we've all seen, haven't we, the advert about fairy liquid. It's strong on the pans, but soft on our hands. Strong on the pans, soft in our hands. You've got that thought of softness and yet of power as well. And so gentleness is really all about loving, tender authority. And it was beautifully displayed by Jesus when uh, he went to the home of Mary and Martha and found, although he knew it, that Lazarus had actually died. And he was a bit late in getting there. And so Lazarus has actually been laid in a tomb. And it actually says these words of tenderness. And it's the shortest verse in the Bible. It actually says, Jesus wept. He had compassion on Mary and Martha his dear friends who had looked after him had opened up their home to him and suddenly they were bereaved their beloved brother Jesus' friend had died and Jesus had that tender heart but what did he do? A few moments later he cried out Lazarus come forth and Lazarus came out of the grave alive in new resurrection the third that life had been brought to a dead body by Jesus. And he had to say Lazarus because he had probably laid in a full tomb. And a whole lot of people would have come out at one time. But actually, it was Lazarus he was interested in. It was Lazarus was the one that he wanted to bring back and restore to his family. Finally, self-control. You know, I suppose if we're honest, most of us would say that self is the motivating force in most of our lives. We are motivated by I. What I want, what I'm going to do, I is there, right central. And it's all about pride. And if you read the Old Testament, you'll find that actually the reason Satan was thrown out of heaven was because of pride. He thought he could actually replace God. And whenever pride rises up within us, Sadly, it will always become rebellious and it will become disobedient. And if you look at the cross, it is actually I crossed out. The sign of the cross is I crossed out. And John got it right when he wrote, he must become greater and I must become less. God must begin to take authority and control of my life. And the me in me must begin to reduce as Jesus becomes the very center of my life. Self-control really is all about submitting ourselves to God and then allowing his Holy Spirit to come into control. Inviting the Holy Spirit to empower us, to give us mastery over sin and temptation. We are required to watch and to pray, that's right, resist and flee from the devil, to put on the whole armor of God. But primarily, it's our will, joined to the Spirit's power, that gives us victory. That's willpower. I decide the Holy Spirit then flows into me and gives me the power to overcome those tests of trials and temptations. So self-control is so important and it's God's will for each one of us that we should be controlled by his spirit. So we've looked at just those nine fruits of the spirit. There are others hidden around in scripture and as you read through the New Testament you'll find there are other fruits of the spirit. But the whole object of the fruit of the Spirit is that you and I become more like Jesus. That's the purpose. That's why he's sown those seeds in your life and in mine. And so just for a few moments, I want you to sit and just look at those fruits of the Holy Spirit that are there on the screen in front of you. And just meditate upon them. Just go through them one by one and see it as a garden in your life what does the garden of your life actually look like are any of these seeds poking up through the soil perhaps some of them are just small shoots perhaps some of them actually you've been praying a lot into and God's been working and they are actually now producing fruit and people are saying why are you like you are And that just gives you the opportunity of telling them about Jesus. So we're just going to meditate quietly and Emily is going to come and uh, pray and play, play for us. She's going to play it quietly once and then she's going to sing and then perhaps together we will sing at the end. But just let's meditate and ask God to speak into your life as I'm going to look and ask God to speak into my life as well. Just a few moments of quietness before God
1: You have been listening to a sermon from Christchurch Helsham. For more information or to contact us, visit Christchurchhelsham.org.